0: God has healed the wounds, of course, but the scars are still there I mean, we will kill you right in the airport. In Islam, there is no forgiveness. It's all only revenge. That's what God did, turned
1: the misery into ministry. Imagine one of your parents disappears. You don't know where they are. They're just gone. That's what happened to Gilbert Hosepian, whose father, Pastor Haik Hovsepien, was the leader of the Assembly of God Church in Iran. For 12 days, the family didn't know where Hike was, and then his body was found bearing 28 stab wounds. Even two decades later, Gilbert says those 12 days were the hardest days of his life, but God has turned those days of misery into a lifetime of ministry. Gilbert will tell us how this week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome back to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. This is Todd Nettleton in our studio here in Bartlesville. We have a very special guest today. Uh, He is Gilbert Hovsepian. He's a filmmaker. He's a musician. uh, He is a very talented guy. And he is uh, the son of a martyr. His father, was killed for his faith in the country of Iran. Uh, so we're going to talk to Gilbert today about his story, about what God is still doing through his family. Uh, Gilbert, thank you for being with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, there will be some of our listeners who are not familiar with your story. They, they've never heard of Pastor Hike, your father. Uh, so just tell us in, a, in kind of a quick version the story of your father's disappearance, eventually his murder, and and how your family walked through those days.
0: My father was called to preach the gospel among the Muslims and he knew from very early age that there would be a price to pay. And of course, uh, later he knew and he could guess that the price is uh, probably his life. And uh, that's what happened when I was 17 years old. One day, my dad disappeared. And for 12 days, we couldn't find him anywhere. After 12 days, we found the body 28 times stabbed. Um, And we went through a lot of hardship and trouble, uh, not only because of losing my father, but also because of the persecution that followed after that and the fear that we had, the constant fear. But of course, losing such a great father uh, was hard for me, my two brothers, my sister and my mom, especially, and for the church, because my dad was like a father to the persecuted church of Iran. He helped Mehdi Dibaj to be released from prison. Mehdi Dibaj was a uh, prisoner because of Jesus and the gospel. For 10 years, he was in prison. My dad started a campaign, and he was freed. Of course, six months later, he was killed also. Um, but that was a great example of my father, of how First uh, John 3.16 says that you should love one another to a point that you're ready to give your life. So that was my dad and the legacy and the, the hero that I have.
1: Your dad could have saved his life. If he'd have just been quiet, right? Yes. I mean, they they were mad because he wouldn't be quiet. He stood up boldly and talked about Christ. He talked about the people who were in prison for their faith. That's why, he's, that's why he was killed.
0: That's right. I mean, many times we hear the statement that this person or that person was killed because of his faith. But I don't think it's true because um, there are many people that have the faith, but they keep it to themselves. It's because of... The fellowship of the faith, because the believers want to get together and worship the Lord. That fellowship is the problem, or um, sharing the faith is the problem. So it's never the faith by itself; it's the sharing or the fellowship of faith. And also, uh, my father was an Armenian. There are almost two hundred fifty thousand Armenians among seventy million Persians, and very minority group. And the government is okay with Armenians being Christians because they are nominal Christians as long as they keep their faith among themselves but my dad was called and to him that calling was so huge that he could not say no and he was ready to pay that price
1: let's talk about the 12 days after your father disappeared did you feel like he's going to come home tonight tonight we're going to he's going to walk through the door did you at some point lose hope during those days just what were those days like for you as a as a 17 year old young man
0: well those 12 days are the worst 12 days of my personal life and even though it was 20 years ago but every time I think about those days still the tears run down my cheeks and it's not easy but it was basically hell um um, you know when you lose someone at least you can you have something to deal with but when you're in doubt and fear that's the worst thing. And I mean, the scars are still there, as you can see. Again, my tears are coming. Um, but um, these are the scars that once they were wounds and they were open. And God has healed the wounds, of course, but the scars are still there. I mean, the the hurt was so deep, especially those 12 days, actually, because, uh, yes, we were praying, but... We had this false hope, as if we all knew what has happened to my dad already, Um, but as if we wanted to be in denial. At least I wanted to be in denial. Even after his death, I wanted to be in denial, and some things happened, and the Lord did some stuff in my personal life that I had to come to the reality.
1: After your father's body was found and you finally knew the answer, you knew he was dead, um, I know you got a lot of messages from christians all over iran from christians around the world Uh, what what did that mean to your family during that time
0: yeah that's the best part right now i'm uh, sitting in front of a microphone and i'm sharing a story through this microphone to me voice of martyrs or other organization like this are that microphone that they share the story to the world and the world hears it and shows compassion and love and grace and we experienced grace, amazing grace uh, because of the work of organizations like Voice of Martyrs. We received thousands, I think almost 3000 letters and cards. Every single letter was extremely precious to us to a point that for years we had those letters and cards on the wall. Uh, You've personally seen that picture. Of our house, where uh, the whole house was the walls were covered with that, and yet we had two baskets full of letters and cards on the floor. And that by itself was uh, was bringing comfort to us, knowing that we're not alone, because so many times people think that the ones that are going through persecution, it's that torture that is the hardest part. It's not really. Uh, the the pain is not the hardest part. The emotional pain, the psychological pain, the spiritual pain is the hardest. And that is to feel that you're lonely, that no one cares, that no one knows, that no one wants to know, that you're by yourself. But when we received those cards, that, that meant the world to us. I remember my brother at that time, he was 10 years old. I was 17 years old. But my little brother, 10 years old, he would get excited over these letters that he would sometimes mess up some of the cards because he he was just rushing to open the cards. And even the stamps on the cards were interesting to him. And uh, sometimes we had some kids, uh, kids drawing on the cards. And it was just beautiful. And every time we would open those cards, we would have tears, and then we would get together, we would pray as a family, knowing that we have much bigger family. I remember we received so many cards that one day uh, we received a card with no address. It just said, Takush of Sepian, that's my mom's name and last name, Takush of Sepian, Iran, Tehran. And that letter came to us, we received that, because the post office knew this location. And one day the postman um, Uh, Asked me a question. He looked into my eyes, he was a Muslim guy. He looked into my eyes and he's like, Who are you? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) It was a big mystery to him. And he's like, Do you have this many family members? I'm like, Yes, we do. We have a big family.
1: You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the
0: Voice of the Martyrs radio network.
1: Gilbert, I know that, uh, you know, we talk about your father's persecution, but but you were persecuted as well, uh, partly because you were his son and partly because you were a Christian. Tell us a little bit about some of the pressure and the persecution that you faced.
0: Yes, well, my persecution wouldn't even come close to his and so many others that are going through but I was in prison for a month and a half. I was beaten a couple of times, and I was threatened a couple of times. I I had to sign a paper that I will not evangelize, but honestly, I could not not evangelize. That was my passion. That was the air that I was breathing. So I was doing that constantly, and that's why I was getting into trouble. And again, in my case, he was the sharing of the gospel. And to me, it was so clear. And once I uh, said this in front of the judge, I'm like, judge understand me i know the doctor that has healed me i had a disease of sin it's like cancer and everyone has that Uh, and i know the doctor jesus is the doctor and i have the prescription that's the bible and i know the medicine that's the blood of jesus that was shed for us and i was evangelizing with the judge of course he got so mad and he directly sent me to a week of prison right away Uh, but that was the the reason and the picture that i had yes i was beaten many times But again, the beating, I could take that more easily. Uh, But when I was in prison and I felt lonely, that was the worst one.
1: Talk to me a little bit about when you were going through that persecution. Uh, Did you draw on the example of your father? Did you think about him and the fact that he had undergone that?
0: When my dad was murdered, I experienced so much pain and I saw the pain in my brothers and my sister and my moms all the time that I decided that, yes, I will serve the Lord, but I will make sure that I'm not in trouble so that I will not cause this kind of pain for my family. But I don't know, a year later when I went to military service and I had to go for two years When I went there and I saw the need, because I was constantly among these Muslims that they were really blinded, they didn't know better. They really thought that Islam is the solution and Allah is the one and you have to kill others. And so I could not, I felt the calling. And the calling was so pressuring in a way that the pressures from, you know, the persecution was not even compared to that pressure, in a good way, pressure, of course. And I felt that calling and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to give my life for the Lord. And one one time I had this incident where these three men came to me with knives and they said, we want to take your life unless you deny Jesus. Well, I don't know. I always thought if that moment comes, I will deny Jesus because, and then later I'll say, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I don't know, something happened at that moment. And my answers were not what I thought I would give. For example, he said, deny Jesus or I'll kill you. And then I said, you know what? My dad was killed and God was glorified. The church grew. Isn't that my purpose? And then I would cut myself saying that. I'm like, Gilbert, what are you saying? (laughs) Just deny and let these crazy people go. And uh, it took almost 45 minutes. They were threatening me. They were pushing me. And it was dark at night. No one was there to protect me. I don't know, uh, when God calls, he also provides for the calling. And of course, in the very last minute, when he was ready to put that knife in me, I I was afraid, of course, but I wouldn't deny. I don't know why. Again, even after that, I'm like, Gilbert, why didn't you deny? You you should have just denied. (laughs) I don't know, but God provided, of course. uh,
1: I think that's an encouragement for our listeners, though, because I think sometimes we feel, you know, I'm weak in my faith, and those those people who are persecuted, they must be really strong and somehow, you know, they're super Christians and, and we're just normal. But what you're saying is, <laughs> even hmm. in that moment, you were you were weak. Yes. Uh, but God gave strength and God provided the power and the encouragement to do that. Talk about the church in Iran. Well, what is the state of the church in Iran? How are things for Christians there? Uh, are there still people being killed for their faith as as your father was?
0: Yes, people are going to prison Uh, most of the leaders came out of the country because of the persecution which is a problem in a way because there are not many leaders to lead people to christ but on the other hand there are television radio internet and all those ministries and i'm super involved in all of the above (laughs) and uh, we preach the gospel back to iran and we see we have seen thousands of lives and literally thousands we receive emails every day and phone calls and it's just amazing thing that god is doing in 1979 when the revolution happened people had so much hope and people of iran speak farsi they don't speak arabic the quran is in arabic so they don't understand arabic they don't understand quran they just know the letters because the letters are the same and they can read And they can memorize, but they can't understand what it's saying. And because uh, most of the Muslims um, don't even care about Allah and Islam, they're just afraid, and that's why they do their prayers, not out of love, but out of fear. That's why uh, their duty is done when they are memorized and they do the prayer. They don't care about understanding it. My point is that many years after the revolution, when uh, Khomeini, Khomeini, Ahmadinejad, and all those leaders, uh, Islamic leaders, kind of revealed the true Islam. All these people that didn't know what Islam is, now they could see what Islam is and what a regime would look like when Islam is ruling. So they came to their senses. They, they were like, wait a minute, is this what we are? Is this who we are? We don't like this, so we're not Muslims anymore. And a huge shift happened in Iran. People are hungry. I mean, in Iran, I would evangelize a lot. I was super involved in that. But very few would say yes. They would be interested. But now you share the gospel and you just receive a mass that are ready to grab to Jesus. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
1: Talk a little bit about your ministry. You talked about the satellite broadcasting. Uh, I know you also have musical ministries, musical gifts that you're using. So just share a little bit about the ways that you're ministering back into Iran.
0: When I was in military service, I was in this small group underground church. We were almost 20 people, and we were gathering secretly. It was not a church building. And when we wanted to get together for the first 10, 15 minutes, we would sing songs. But in Farsi, there are very few songs that are recorded. So we would sing the same songs over and over again. And it was kind of boring (laughs) and tiring. And the lyrics were not fresh to us. It was just the same thing for two years, like 30, 40 songs altogether. And it was there when I felt the Lord spoke to me about this vision of leading worship for underground churches and I didn't know exactly what that looks like but when I came to America in year end of 1999 immediately I turned our garage into studio and with very low quality stuff I started to record basically what I did was I recorded songs that I wrote because I wrote so many songs and also in the TV programs that I had uh, I asked people of Iran the believers of Iran to write poets or songs, and send it to me. I received more than 600 songs. And then um, I recorded those songs. I sent it back to Iran. Those individuals went to studios, sang it. They sent it back to me. I did mix editing, mastering stuff. And then, um, of course, it took it took some years, but uh, now we have 300 songs recorded, put it online. And people all over the world, especially in Iran, which there are thousands of underground churches they all use these songs
1: so you're it's really a partnership between your ministry and the church in Iran because they're they're doing the writing they're doing some of the recording and wow
0: yes so my my vision was to create a library of songs so that people can do that and of course, of course it's continuing and we partner with VOM to record 50 of those songs we in Canada. People of Iran are writing their songs, and they are singing their own songs. And when they go out to evangelize, uh, they give these CDs along with the tracks or Bibles. And people of Iran are touched. Are touched by songs. And I hear testimonies constantly that, "Hey, Brother Gilbert, thank you for this song because I came to the Lord through this song." So songs to them, it's it's more than a song to them. It's it's a message. And we can get the right theology to Iran through songs. So it's it's much more than a song in a country where there's no church, established church.
1: Talk a little bit about the satellite broadcast that you're working on to, to strengthen the church as well as to reach Muslims.
0: Yes, I do a lot of expository teaching as well as evangelism and um, worship programs that we have musicians that come and we have programs that just, I believe people of Iran needs inspiration. So we've had some people like Don Moen, uh, a great worship leader who came on the program, Tommy Walker, Michael W. Smith came. They all said yes and freely they came and served and they said, Iran, we love you. We are praying for you. So what I experienced in Iran, which was a negative experience, I've, Of course, it's not about me. God gave me some wisdom and my family and our ministry to change the things that we were bothered with. For example, if I felt that there is no musical worship to be able to worship with, now God is providing that. If there's no solid teaching, now God is providing that through satellite. And of course, it's not just us alone. There are so many people that are with us.
1: Some of our listeners are, are people who maybe some of their co-workers are Muslims. Maybe their neighbors are Muslims. Uh, what advice would you give them uh, as we try to, to be Jesus Christ and to love uh, our Muslim neighbors, our Muslim co-workers, and really to reach them with the gospel? How uh, would How would you, you kind of coach them to do that?
0: I want to start from my own story. Because I didn't love Muslims, especially after my dad's martyrdom. So I had to go through a process of forgiving them and then loving them. And that's when we started to see fruits. Because uh, in Islam, there is no forgiveness. It's all only revenge. So forgiveness is a new idea. And pure love in a point of agape love and grace, that is what touches them because they haven't seen that. And th- that is powerful. And uh, I believe... With Muslims, it's just we have to create a relationship. We don't have a product that we say, hey, we have this product, we're going to give it to you, especially in the West. Uh, It's a relationship that we have with Jesus, and we just have to reflect that. So I actually recommend for so many people not to talk about Jesus in their first couple of meetings. The best thing that works with Muslims, because they are very warm people, very friendly, very hospitable I would just create a great relationship and that they would see Jesus in a daily life and then slowly we would share the gospel. They love movies like Jesus movie cuz they love Jesus as their prophet or songs. So with Muslims it's it's different. It's not hey Jesus loves you. They say okay my grandpa loves me too. So what?
1: <laughs> and I always encourage people the the hospitality culture is so strong in the Muslim world. Uh, have them into your home, serve them a meal, drink tea mm-hmm. together, go into their homes when they invite you. Uh, that, that is the key to kind of building those bridges and building that relationship so that they see Christ in us.
0: Exactly. And we have to understand one thing, that in the West, if you want to honor someone, you invite that person to your house. But in the Middle East, it's different. If you want to honor someone, you go to their house. And that's why we see in the Bible many examples where they said, oh, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house because Jesus was honoring. That's why when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight, everyone was like, oh, what is he doing? He's honoring this man that is not honorable. Or he says, I'm knocking the door. If you open, I will come in. So that's Jesus honoring us by coming in based on that culture.
1: So going to their house, that's, honoring. That's honoring. That's a great truth. That I've never heard that said that way before. <laughs> that is really great. As we finish up, what do you think is your dad's legacy?
0: It seems that the story of Christianity is a death and life story. A seed falls to the ground, dies, and then we see the harvest. Jesus died, and then we see salvation. Even in Genesis, when God talks about Jesus, says that he will crush Satan's head, but his heel will be bruised. It seems that where there is a crushing of a head and there's victory, at the same time, there is a bruise somewhere. So in my life, the bruise was my dad's martyrdom, huge bruise. But at the same time, we see uh, what that did. Satan's head was crushed. Many came to Christ through that. Many eyes were opened. Um, Many uh, turned their attention to Iran and persecution in general, um, the church became one. I remember almost five years ago, uh, I was in Nicosia for a ministry in Cyprus, and this Dutch lady came to me and she said, uh, are you Gilbert of Sepion? And I was in the middle of the street, nowhere, basically. I'm like, are you sure this is the right Gilbert? I mean, yes, I am Gilbert of Sepion. How do you know me? She started to cry and she said that, I heard your story uh, 15 years ago, And these missionaries uh, that had come to Iran from our church, they took pictures. I'm like, yes, I remember those two missionaries. They took individual pictures. She's like, yes, they took individual pictures from your family and other martyrs and persecuted families. They came to our church with 50 individual pictures. And we are a small church of 50 members. And we all took one picture to pray for. And she's like, I took a picture and it was your picture. And she said... Your picture is still on my refrigerator after 15 years, and she said every day I'm praying for you. And at that time, I was in tears. I was, like, I was like, "Wow, this is this is the church that Jesus died for. This is beautiful because of what my father and other martyrs did, and because of the persecution that is going on, the Church of God is being united. They came, they come together. It's one family. One member is in pain; all other come in." together. And in Iran, after my dad's martyrdom, many were encouraged. We received some letters from regular members that they wrote to us that we are standing with you. We are ready to give our lives for the Lord, just like your father did. And they signed those papers with their own blood. Wow. So this is the church that was awakened, even though the enemy thought by killing the leaders, everyone would be scattered. That was not the case. And we, uh, by God's grace, are influencing Iran in a way that the government had to send us personal note that, hey, don't come to Iran. We'll kill you right in the airport because you're effective and you're changing. So that's what God did, turned the misery into ministry.
1: From misery to ministry. My thanks to Gilbert Hovsepian for sharing his story with us I want to ask our listeners to pray, especially for Gilbert right now. After we taped this interview, Gilbert was involved in a traffic accident near his home. He was injured quite severely. So will you take a moment to pray right now that God will completely heal Gilbert? You can get updates on his condition as well as connect with his music and purchase his CDs online at gilberth.com. You should definitely find Gilbert's song, Send Me Out. It's one that he's shared at several VOM conferences. It is a great song. It is a great mission song. So go to GilbertH.com and look for that song, Send Me Out. Thanks for being with us this week on VOM Radio. You can connect with us online and listen to other episodes of our show at VOM Radio. Dot net. That's vomradio.net. You can also send us a comment or a question via the website. Pray for Gilbert Hovsepian. Pray for the church in Iran. And we'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.